All right, welcome back to the 1-2 Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today on the episode, we have back on the show, Dr. Cormier, who is our Director of Performance Psychology here at the University of Kentucky. Also on, we have former Kentucky strength coach, Alicia, Alicia Carrillo, and then our current strength coach, Ken Knox, um, on the podcast. Ken Knox is actually going through Dr. Cormier's sport and exercise psychology master's program right now. Alicia Carrillo graduated from that program. I believe she was the first person um, to graduate with a master's degree from that program at the University of Kentucky. So we hope you enjoy the episode. Knox, did you get a 4-0 this past semester? I did. I did. Great. <laughs> Congratulations. Carrillo, what was your GPA? It was it was a four zero straight good through. Job. Good job. Reluctantly gave Knox good grades just to kind of keep up appearances that we have a good program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Carrillo earned them. Carrillo earned them. Exactly. <laughs> so the last time Cormier was on here, we it was really more of an introduction of uh, him, his background, his education, um, and we really didn't get a chance to dive into some some big takeaways that people that are listening to the podcast can walk away, whether they're a strength coach, a performance coach, an athletic trainer, whoever they are, can take away some uh, performance psychology notes um, and have something that they can use on the floor with the athletes or whoever they're working with. So really no set agenda. And we're going to just hop right into it. Um, but, and I'll start with Dr. Cormier, like, we kind of touched on your philosophy last time, but maybe what are what what's something that's a, a staple and whether it's practically what you do with our student athletes or something that you um, is consistent with your with your lectures and your, the classes that you're teaching when it comes to performance psychology. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I try to to. Uh, my, my goal is to never make like a bunch of little marks running around with my students or anything like that. But if there's one thing that they can take away, hopefully in the two years that they spend on the program, it's something that I do with every single student athlete that I meet um, is to first start with an assessment of a, their needs. So what do they need to be successful? Like what is it that they require in order to be, you know, operating <clears throat> as close to, their highest potential as possible on a more consistent basis. Because, you know, if we remember back to our, our psych one-on-one days, um, I mean, we talk a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, biological needs, social needs, those kinds of things. And so every, every person has a set of, of requirements that they, that, that, that exist that, that they need. So some people are very social beings. Some people need to be pushed. And by that it's being yelled at by a strength coach, whereas, some of them I'm sure you guys have come across that kind of need a gentle nudge or more encouragement and reinforcement as opposed to, you know, um, being screamed at. So, so that's one of the first conversations that I had with athletes is what is it that you need? Um, and, and second, following that is what is it that you're getting? 
Um, and so then they can kind of do a self-assessment and find out, are my needs getting met? Because that's not a question that people usually ask themselves. Um, but hey, what are my needs? Are they being met? And by whom? And that's when we get into the conversation of, you know, or at least my justification for having a relationship with people in the strength conditioning room, because oftentimes athletes are getting their needs met by people that they see frequently. And in some cases, that's their strength coach. In other cases, it's their AT. In other cases, it's, it's an assistant coach or a teammate or a parent or, or whatever. But it gets that conversation going and it allows them to sort of explore the different people, the different resources that they have you know, at their disposal. And so, and so not to jump right into the connection between what I do and what you guys do, but, but that legitimately is one of the first things that I ask athletes before we even dive into, you know, what brings you in today? It's really more of like a, tell me about yourself, you know, give me the, give me the, the version that you would tell, you know, uh, an ESPN reporter, how you got involved in the sport and all that kind of stuff and follow closely by, okay, what is it that you need to be successful? And when you talk about that assessment, do you, and what you kind of described was very informal. It was like, hey, it's the first meeting that you might have with a student athlete. Do you ever do anything that's, you know, a set assessment or a test? And I'm not sure what the correct terminology would be that would, um, like I know some of our student athletes have done a DISC assessment before. We're, we're able to see, you know, what kind of personality, what motivates them, what's their driving forces. Do you ever do anything like that or is it more casual? Yeah, it's 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 more of a biopsychosocial type of informal conversation. I'm not a big paper and pencil kind of person, um, and this is only this this is purely my own personal outlook on it. I think there are plenty of ways that you can be successful by doing those, where you get a baseline and then you can kind of track behavior and things like that. Particularly when you're going for, you know, maybe a diagnosis or something like that. But for me, I feel like it really. I don't want to say harms, but definitely stunts the growth of the relationship that can develop in that first meeting um, where you're, you're trying to establish trust and you're trying to establish a connection and a relationship and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not a big, I'm not a big paper and pencil pusher. Uh, we're all have people, but, but, but they are effective. I and mean, a lot of people I know use them and, and, and they do great things and they're able to, you know, probably track things, um, a lot easier and a lot more cleanly than I do. Um, but uh, I'm a big note taker, um, but not, not big during the sessions or anything like that. So it's not really something I do. You know, the one thing, as you were talking about at the beginning with, um, you know, are the athletes needs being met and some people need somebody to scream in their face. Some people need a little bit more gentle or touch. And I'll, I'll kind of toss it over to Carrillo and Knox to maybe get their perspective and maybe some practical ac applications. But the first thing I look at as a strength coach is how their head coach or assistant coaches uh, interact with them. So I wouldn't say necessarily that I am the same strength coach with volleyball as I am with women's basketball. Um, you know, the way Craig Skinner communicates with his team is different than the way Matthew Mitchell communicates with this team and I kind of um, change my coaching approach uh, depending on the certain team and then to go along with that the the different athlete as well but Creo, start with you maybe give me some insight on you know building upon what Dr. Cormier said about the assessment assessment piece and um, kind of a coaching personality 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think when you get any new athlete, um, whether they're an incoming freshman or transfer, you're a new coach uh, working with that team. You know, you can't just make a blanket statement about each athlete's personality or how they want to be, not even how they want to be um, communicated with, but how they, how they will thrive, like what environment or what communication style is going to, is going to help them excel the most. So it's a, um, it's a little bit different on the strength and conditioning side because we don't necessarily have the opportunity to sit down with our athletes and have a conversation right away and really get to know them. It's more of an observation and it's kind of trying different things out and throwing different things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, and I think what you said is great. Like seeing, seeing how the coach interacts with the team can be helpful. And from there you can decide if that's something that you feel like with each particular athlete you should mirror or if it's something you should compliment. So maybe you have a head coach who is, you know, very like has a dominant communication style is very much, you know, telling them what to do this, that, and the other, um, this is the drill, this is that. So maybe in the weight room, you take that as an opportunity to give the athletes a little bit more autonomy over what they're doing, but within set parameters. So, okay, we're going to be working on this, but you can choose option A or option B um, and more just asking for their feedback. Or, you know, maybe you see that one athlete responds well to that type of feedback that more like, hey, this is what we're doing today. And then you run with that. But it's about observing and, you know, adjusting day by day. It can even change. It doesn't even have to be just straight across the board with each athlete. I think that's a really good point. The observation and kind of going with it, a trial and error. Um, you know, with smaller teams, it might be uh, a lot easier to do. Uh, but when you have a bigger group, let's take a baseball team of 40 players. I mean, that's 40 individuals that it's going to be tough to just have one coaching style for um, the entire team. And you're going to have to adjust depending on whether it's a new athlete or an upperclassman. Um, and then kind of going back to Dr. Cormier's point, some people like being screamed at. And if you got a smaller team, like a, a team of, you know, six to 10, you might be dealing with uh, some similar personalities, but those bigger groups are, are tough to deal with. Um, they are. If, if I can just kind of jump in here, yeah. it, it's, you know, coaches are going to coach the way they coach. Right. And so they have their philosophies, they have their motivational tactics, and this is, you know, head coaches, assistant coaches, strength coaches, and things like that. Oftentimes, coaches have the ability to recruit individuals that are going to fit the philosophy of the team to the culture, right? So they're not going to, they're not going to recruit somebody that's just going to completely fail and is going to, that is going to require something totally different on the other side of the spectrum than what that coach usually provides, right? So Matthew Mitchell, for example, is not going to go and recruit somebody despite how talented that, that person may be, that will just not fit the mold of, of the team. And so, but there needs to be a balance as well, because you're never going to find 40 players, let's say for a baseball team that are going to completely perfectly fit into these little slots, right? So there needs to be flexibility there, even though everybody's going to be kind of on the same page, um, there needs to be a level of, okay, maybe, maybe that person requires a little bit more encouragement um, than say that person, whether it's because they're a freshman or whether it's because they've had kind of a rough upbringing and they've never been praised or, or whatever those, but, but to Creo's point, I mean, you got to watching is the, is the best thing that you can do at the very early stages. And, and you can learn a lot from just showing up to practice and just 
you know, paying attention to those little tiny things. What are some of the, you have quite a few student athletes that take your courses. What are, when you're teaching those and the way we're talking, it's to help me become a better strength coach by uh, understanding uh, performance psychology better. But when you have those student athletes in your class, are you tackling it or having a message like they're a student athlete or are you putting it more towards like maybe they want to get into coaching one day or maybe a mixture of both? Um, so the, the one main class that I teach, it's sort of the graduate level sports psychology class. Um, it, it, you get a mixed bag, right? So you're getting grad, it's a 500 level class, first of all. So you're getting grad students and you're getting upper level undergrad students. You're getting athletes, you're getting former athletes, you're getting non-athletes, you're getting people that are, um, you know, coaching majors or coaching minors, you're getting people who want to go into strength conditioning or athletic training. So, you know, my part of my teaching is, you know, which is, you know, kind of rooted in my consulting philosophy as well is figuring out what are the needs of the students. And so the first day, I'll sometimes formally, sometimes more informally kind of ask, you know, what is that you guys are hoping to get out of this class? And sometimes I'll do it like write a, write a paper, not graded, just, just help me understand what you want to get out of this class. And so that I can help at least not tailor it to them, but make, make it a useful experience for them so that they're actually walking away, not just with a, with a grade and a credit, but they're getting something a little bit more meaningful that they can take away and hopefully is going to impact them, not just in their careers, but if they're athletes um, in, their, in their competitive lives as well. Um, but another thing that I've sort of discovered over the years is rather than having set assignments. And so I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, assignments, you, you should learn something from it. And so, you know, testing and, and grading and all that kind of stuff isn't just because we have to as instructors, but um, part of that is we want you to develop something. We want you to learn, come out of this with, with something that you did. And so what I do at the beginning of the semester is I'll give them 12 assignments, which you know, at the, at, at the very first glance, students kind of freak out at this. They're like, holy shit, I have to do 12 assignments. Um, but they only have to choose two. And so they have across the spectrum, you know, one of them is a coaching observation. One of them is an interview with, you know, athletic trainers or injured athletes. One of them is, um, you know, a book report or a book review, um, you know, so on and so forth. And so they actually get to, A, pick when the assignment is due, which is a huge perk for them because they get to decide when you know, the, the heavy part of the semester in this particular class is going to be, but B, they get to figure out something that, or they get to, to choose something that is going to be, you know, more meaningful to them, which we know from tons of research, when something is, is more meaningful to you, you're going to, you're going to work a lot harder, right? It's going to, it's going to increase your intrinsic motivation, which usually, not always, usually increases the product. And so, for me, it's selfish in ways because I get much better assignments, which easy assignments or, or well-written assignments are way easier to grade than poorly written ones. So, so there's a way that you can do it to, and student athletes, you're going to find that they're going to draw a lot on their experiences. So to answer your question, you know, in those instances, you know, those who want to become coaches get to choose the assignments that are going to benefit, you know, the development of maybe their coaching philosophy. Or maybe they get to observe a coach that's not their own coach to learn other coaching tactics and not have to, you know, become the kind of coach that you had, because that sometimes happens too, is that you end up coaching the way that you were coached. 
which sometimes works out to your advantage. Sometimes it doesn't, depending on the quality of your coach. So there are ways we can, we can play around with that. Kind of jump into you, Knox. Um, you'll be the second person in our program that has or will go through the sport and exercise uh, psychology master route. I know why Carrillo chose that. Um, somebody like myself, when I was in grad school, I did exercise fizz. Um, BMAC went the same route. Why did you decide to pursue um, sport and exercise psychology? Besides that you admire Creo and you just wanted to follow in her footsteps. Yeah, well, I think it's important that first we note that you're exactly right. It was, <laughs> I wanted to follow exactly in Creo's footsteps. And that was the big thing. But the little thing after that was the minds always interested me. And I've always known I've wanted to do something with sports or like study something sport related, whether it be exercise phys, exercise science, sports psych. And sports psych is what I felt I could apply most to myself, but not only myself and most importantly, the student athletes that I'd be working with. Whereas I think exercise phys is important, but for me, I don't necessarily understand it as well. It doesn't interest me and I wouldn't have any idea on how to apply it on a day-to-day -day basis to student athletes. Whereas sport and exercise psychology, I feel like, okay, I understand goal setting. I understand mindset. I understand all these various aspects of sport and exercise psychology. And not only do I understand it, but it interests me. So that makes me want to even apply it more on a daily basis. And I think, you know, something you started in those of you that don't follow our staff's Instagram page, but Knox started a Mindset Monday. Um, first video came out yesterday and I thought you did a great job. I know I told you that already, but just your presentation, the content um, was very high level. And you could definitely see that the information you're getting from your grad school classes, you're digesting it and you're able to um, talk through a certain topic. And I think the topic yesterday was just about your mindset and having a great attitude. And it was awesome to hear you talk through that. Um, so in terms of, like I said at the beginning, you know, performance psychology, last time Dr. Cormier was on, really just a, a introduction of him and his role and kind of what he does within UK athletics and in the, um, uh, that master's degree program. But what's something we can talk about so when people uh, listen to this podcast, they can have some, some sort of information that they can take and, and run with it, um, either in their weight room or, you know, uh, their training room or whatever their role is within athletics. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the big buzzword that a lot of people talk about is kind of what you just mentioned, mindset. What does that actually mean? Um, and so, you know, it's thrown around when you're watching, you know, football game or basketball game or something like that a lot of the announcers are talking about mindset mental toughness and you know um you know look at their look at their focus look at their concentration but to the degree where people understand not just you know what it is but how it works I think that's the big piece that um is missing with a lot of our athletes which is you know sport sports psychology as a profession is just riddled with former athletes I mean, it's just the people who have finished their careers and their, their competitive careers and decided I'm not done yet. I, I don't necessarily want to become a coach, um, but man, I want to, I want to help athletes figure out the things that I figured out way too late in my career. 
And, and I was one of those people where, you know, I used to throw up before races, you know, in, in track and field. Ironically, I would have really benefited from talking to somebody like me, but it just wasn't something that was talked about. And even now, it's still kind of this taboo, you know, stigmatized kind of thing where gaining entry, not just in teams, but um, even within like strength conditioning rooms. I mean, you guys have been awesome. You guys have been super welcoming. And I'll walk into the weight room and, and I'll, I'll know everybody by name and they know, be my, they know me by name and they're able to make referrals and stuff like that. That doesn't happen everywhere because I've got colleagues across the SEC and across, you know, other schools in the NCAA that, that are shocked when I have this, um, when I talk about this relationship and even the, you know, the OPT meetings that we have on a monthly basis where we talk about, you know, different athletes and some of the things that they're struggling with or some of the things that are going really well for them. And so, you know, mindset is a big piece, um, but also the collaborative relationship. And so one of the reasons why I was really excited to have Carrillo and then Knox join the program is because, you know, we need more people in strength conditioning that have this information and not just surface level, like they've read, you know, one of the books out there that's written by the thousands of people that, you know, feel like self-publishing a book or something like that. Like you read about, you know, basic concepts like goal setting and imagery. I mean, you can learn that in an afternoon. But really, truly understanding how to apply it and how to teach it, that's when you get into the, the, the weeds. And that's when you need a little bit more of the hands-on you know, experience and guidance and mentorship and things like that. Um, but to me, helping athletes understand what mindset is all about. You know, what is a high-performance mindset? What does that mean? You know, they come to UK and all of a sudden they're, they're told, you know, this is the big time. This is the SEC. This is Division One. You're not in high school anymore. You're not in, you know, um, you know, club sports or anything like that. This is when it starts to matter. This is when you start getting a fan base. How are you going to manage all of that? For athletes, it's, it's tough because they haven't had to think about it. They've been able to get by on their talent alone. You know, everybody at UK, I would venture a guess, was the star of their high school team. Um, and so when they get here, and all of a sudden they're sitting on the bench, and they think, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I'm just as good, if not better, than I was last year. Why am I not on the court? Why am I not on the field? And so sometimes it's, it's understanding that you're going to require something a little bit more. And, and part of that is figuring out what is a high-performance mindset. You know, what does it actually entail? I think that's something I've taken from you. Um, and even in conversations with Knox and Carrillo where, you know, it was hard for me as a former athlete and now as a strength coach to even uh, think through why somebody wouldn't be as motivated as I was as an athlete. Or I think one conversation we had as a staff maybe a year or two ago was about um, like self-talk, positive self-talk and negative self-talk. And I am just taking all of it in and be like, people think about themselves in a, from a negative point of view, like, like when I'm going through a hard workout or in a tough situation, the, the positive things that are going through my mind, I, I never even thought that anybody else had anything else in their brain. Um, but then in conversations with Knox and Creo and other staff members, it's, it's like, all right, this is something we need to address. And then it was being able to be defined. Um, and that just made us better coaches uh, in general. Creo, I don't know if you remember those meetings and those conversations, but that was something that helped me out as a ton as a strength coach. Yeah, I think um, 
one thing that keeps coming back to my mind and just kind of like well as general um kind of practice is that we have the opportunity as strength coaches is we're literally in it so we're there with the athletes um you know like we mentioned earlier and dr cormier touched on is like we observe them you know he he speaks with them in his office and gets great information and you know they come back and they say yeah i think this worked this didn't but we uh we have a different kind of opportunity where we're live and we also can use ourselves as kind of like a n equals one you know and so one thing that kind of keeps coming back as far as that conversation was one of our summer competitions we did um it was my last summer there i think it was like till the battles one and it was awful like most of them and i remember afterwards having a discussion as a staff of like well, what was going through your mind? And I remember I actually, I did well in that competition, um, despite not feeling my best physically after like a long weekend of traveling. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I actually for once like didn't think about how much I had left and was just like, okay, do another rep, do another rep, run another. And we all kind of like, we had a, a really good discussion about that and ended up talking to the athletes and it's like yeah like don't don't fixate on um don't necessarily fixate on the things that you have left the task in front just focus on the task in front of you just in a you know it's like I think coach Skinner says all the time be where your feet are be be present in the moment um so yeah that's definitely a unique opportunity that we have as strength coaches and that's one conversation that I definitely go back to a lot and continue to kind of use those same principles of just, you know, asking athletes or asking clients, Hey, how did you feel during that? Tell me what you were thinking about. And then it's like real time. You ask the ones that did well and you ask the ones that did performed poorly. What were you thinking about? Yeah. And you're just collecting data. And I think it, you know, going back to your example and that, that conversation that we had as a staff is, and for those who don't know uh, much about our program is we, anything we ask our student athletes to do, we're going to do ourselves and do it beforehand. Um, and it's when you think about coaching, and I, I think it's a, a somewhat of a naive perception of coaching. If you just think about bar path and you know proper squat technique, and I think since you two have been in this um, this master's program and brought different ideas to to our staff, it's coaching is about you know what's going through your head when you're in the middle of this extremely hard workout, uh, and something simple as uh when dr cormier had our volleyball team i don't know if any of our other teams have read the the mindful athlete who wrote that do you remember mark it was uh it's george mumford yeah and uh, a couple other teams read it um not as we didn't go through it as formally as we did with the volleyball team that summer but i don't know if you remember but we had we had members of the softball team roll mm -hmm. in after workouts we had members of the golf team and baseball team and all that kind of stuff. So it was a really cool collaborative sort of thing. So just even like reading that book and then hearing the dialogue you were having with our student athletes. And when it came back to one thing I took away from that book is coming back to your breath. And I know that was something we worked on that summer. Um, even as we were, we continue to take ourselves through hard workouts. That was something I was able to bring to each one of my teams and student athletes and to be like, Hey, at this point, you know, it's going to feel like hell. So take a big deep breath. And like Korea was saying, like, just do one more rep. And then after that, take another deep breath. Be where you are and just keep pushing forward. Don't worry about how much you have left. Just, just stay present and then keep your mind in a, in a, in a positive place. 
Uh, and I just think having that perspective on things has made me um, such a much more effective coach. I mean, what you're talking about is, I mean, essentially mindfulness, which is really good because it's, you know, you know, being present and, and being purposeful and things like that. Um, but I think more often than not, well, I don't want to say more often than not, but a lot of people get freaked out with the word mindfulness. They think of, you know, this monk meditating on the side of a mountain, you know, in Tibet or something like that. They don't necessarily think of it as, you know, everyday sort of skills. But essentially when it's broken down to it, when we when we're talking about how it applies to 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 sport, we're talking about process over outcome, right? Because athletes are so focused um, on on winning, and and rightfully so. They're competitive people. It's shoved down their throats by their coaches and administrators and fans and things like that. So, you know, winning is is very important. But what's often lost in that message is what we need to do in order to win. And, and that comes back to what Carrillo is talking about is I'm not thinking about how much I have left and whether or not I'm going to finish this entire set. I'm just, I'm just thinking about this next rep, right? Because in order to win, I need to, I need to first start by doing this next rep. And unless I do that, nothing else matters. And so all my energy needs to be, you know, almost laser focused on this one thing that needs to be done. And once, once that's done, it's the ability to turn the page and move on to the next one. And so, you know, athletes who are getting, you know, distracted and really flustered because they just missed three, you know, three pointers in a row. Um, well, what, what's going to happen when they get the ball again and they have a clear lane to take a shot? You know, are they going to tighten up because they, they just missed three in a row? Or are they going to look at it like it's, it's oh, no, I haven't, I haven't. And I, I think that came out in the, the last dance. And I'm sure you guys watched the, the Michael Jordan documentary where he said it, it, it's silly for me to get nervous about a shot that I haven't taken yet and so that just goes to show that 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 toughness that that ability to be able to just be you know crystal clear in that in that thought process of not the outcome is not important what matters is how I'm going to put this ball into the hoop and that can be translated to all different sports because at the end, the outcome is not really up to you. I mean, sometimes you just play teams that are better and there's nothing you can do about that. And, and you lose, and that sucks, but can you still have a meaningful experience in, in the process? That's what it comes down to. You know, one thing I wrote down that you just said is process over outcome. And I think it's something that is um, like, I'm gonna hear it right now. And I'm going to write it down and be like, yes, that's my nugget that I'm going to take away from this conversation. But if I don't write it down and think about that on a regular basis, I always see myself drifting away from the process and the importance of the process and just thinking about the outcome. Um, you, yeah, and, you, and more yeah. important, I think, John, is to not just think about because now it's words on paper, which is more meaningful than just thoughts. But like what behaviors are matched up with that? All right, what does that look like? What does being process oriented look like? Because oftentimes teams have, you know, um, team mottos on the wall. And, you know, we have till the battle is won. And we have some of our teams who, you know, we play for those who came before us kind of thing. And okay, but at, at a certain point, if that's not reinforced by the coachings, then it just becomes word on paper. Or, or words on wall and there's no actual behaviors that are connected to that so then we 
we, we help athletes. Okay, great. You understand process over outcome. That's meaningful to you. I'm glad you took that away. Now, how, right? The how, how does that connect? One thing, uh, as I was watching the last dance, um, and just Phil Jackson, I think he did the, the, the Ford and the mindful athlete. So as uh, there, a lot of the scenes in the last dance, I'm thinking about towards about that book and Phil Jackson and Zen Buddhism. So it was a good kind of, um, full circle to see how he, and I, I don't know if he was the first person in professional sports to kind of bring that, that that mind frame and that thought to uh, competition of, um, you know, mindfulness, but it was cool to have already read that book, and then see a little bit of it put into action in that documentary. Um, but getting back to in, um, the how, what are some of the, the tips that you either, you know, try to provide to our coaches or our student athletes with the how on how they're going to keep the process um, process uh, oriented over outcome oriented yeah good question uh, well first I mean it looks different for everybody right and so um, like you said at the beginning you know Craig Skinner is going to coach differently than than Matthew Mitchell and so we have to approach you know the, the teams differently but most of my athletes know this and most of my students know this, that I'm not a big goal oriented person. Like I'm not a, I'm not a person that's really going to encourage athletes to set goals. If, if they're, if they operate well within, you know, a goal structure, then I'm going to help them with that. Because oftentimes, as I mentioned just a couple minutes ago, goals are outcome goals. I want to be an all American. I want to be a national champion. I want to be a starting player. I want this, that, and the other thing. So I think they're helpful. And I'm not saying goals are bad. Um, and I'm not saying outcome goals are bad because they're really good for motivation. Like if you want to be an all American and that's your fuel to get up at five o'clock in the morning in the summer, um, when you could easily be sleeping in or during a social isolation order or whatever, then that's going to help you. So I don't want to discourage that. What I'm saying is that it's, it's not complete. You need a little bit more. So I'm not huge on goals, but I'm big on is purposeful behavior, right? And so having an intention to do something and then actually doing it. And we start small with that. And so sometimes it's an athlete who, um, you know, or, or a team and I'll say, you know, every practice come in and have, have an intention for today, have a target. And, and again, I know this sounds oddly like goals, but it's really more of um, today I'm going to focus on my communication. My communication, if, if all else fails, if I just have a absolute shitstorm of a practice, least I can come out of practice, walk off the floor into the locker room, hang my hat on the fact that I was a really good communicator. And so, um, and, and, and then you build on those things, right? And so having that, having that, um, that approach where you're not just hoping that you're going to pick things up by making a goal, all of a sudden it's going to come to fruition. Um, but breaking it down and, and figuring out what the process is, right? So I'm, I'm process oriented, I'm focused on every day, but then you catch yourself in practice, you know, worrying about, you know, oh, what's, what's this game this weekend going to look like? We're playing LSU. Oh shit. Okay. Well, wait, no, bring yourself back. You're it, this is Wednesday games on Saturday, right? Wednesday matters on Wednesday, Saturday matters on Saturday. So right now, how are you getting better today right now? And so having that awareness of constantly kind of bringing yourself returning to center and that goes into what Korea talked about earlier and 
in Craig Skinner's words, you know, be where your feet are. And that's not his words, but he, he talks about it a lot. Um, but being where your feet are, your feet are here. And, and that's applicable in so many different scenarios. I mean, students who are in class and on their computers on social media. It's like, why are you here? Like, what's the point? Like, stay home. Like, you're just, you're, you're hurting yourself and you're hurting the people around you. So if you're going to be in class, be in class. If you're going to be in the, in the uh, weight room, be in the weight room. You know, don't, don't think about the exam that you have coming up in two days because that's not productive. So focus on this, then move on, then turn the page. I love it. Process-oriented, purposeful behavior. Uh, I'll throw it over to Carrillo and Knox. What are, you know, knowing the things that you guys know in your education, um, how have you tried to implement those things with student athletes in the weight room? What are some, maybe some, um, you know, uh, try, uh, going back to the trial and error, what is something that you've tried uh, to kind of get this message across to uh, some of your teams or athletes and what has stuck, what hasn't? Um, I'll kind of start. So one thing that I've done and have even been doing more lately is just kind of putting purpose behind or, you know, getting, getting athletes to understand purpose behind movement behind the practice of it and I think that goes hand in hand with being present and it's you know it's not necessarily enough and we know this is strength coaches it's not enough to just show up to the workout you actually you know need to be intentional with what you're doing and you know ideally with every single rep that you're doing you're not just going through the motions and so I what I like to do is just challenge the athlete to you know to think about it when, I, when they're doing a bent row or something, what am I working? What should I be engaging? What should I be feeling? And if you don't know, then ask, ask me, ask another coach, um, ask your teammate, have those conversations. But what can we do in every single movement to make sure we're getting the most out of it? Because, you know, you can show up and you can go through the motions and you'll probably get a little bit stronger. You might get a little bit faster, but you're going to get so much more out of it. Just, just being present. And again, that like further reinforces that process of, focusing and being right there in the moment and hopefully being able to carry that over into the sport. As far as things I've tried that I didn't necessarily, um, I don't want to say they didn't work, but it, it didn't necessarily work for me or work for my athletes was so kind of going back to goal setting. I think it's really great um, in theory and it does work for some athletes, but I've tried kind of having those like goal sheets in the beginning of the year and setting, you know, process goals and outcome goals and looking at the, the pieces of the puzzle. But, you know, and it's part, partly on me, like you, you've got to decide what you want to tackle and what you're going to be good at. And you can kind of throw in a little bit of everything here and there. But um, if you don't really dial in and hone in on those goals all the time, then if you're not checking up on them constantly, which is hard to do with a large number of athletes while you're trying to do everything else, are you, are you doing them a service or are you just giving them something else extra to do that's not really going to go anywhere? So it was neat to look back at the end of the year and see what did we, what did we achieve and what didn't we achieve. But um, I, didn't, I didn't find that I got nearly as much out of it or that the athletes got as much out of it. Great stuff. Knox? Any input? I know you're you're new, not really new, but you're a younger strength coach. You're just finishing up your first uh, first academic year of grad school. 
what are some of the things maybe you learned from Carrillo, maybe you learned from Dr. Cormier that you've tried to implement in the weight room? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things so far is, like we've mentioned already, is the process over the outcome. And kind of like Cormier said, there's this huge pressure once you come to Kentucky specifically, but even like a bigger school, you were the top dog at your high school, and then you may come to Kentucky and it's like, oh, you're not even playing. And that can be crushing, but the biggest thing you have to understand with that is it's a process. And if you don't start your first year, then it's all about what you're doing to improve that or what you're doing to get better for that next year. It's not, oh, I didn't start my first year and that's the end all be all. So the biggest thing with the athletes I've tried to work with is just stress that just because something doesn't necessarily pan out how you want it to, think about all the things that happened during the process or think about what did pan out how exactly you want it to. Maybe you didn't hit a workout or hit a lift the way you wanted to or a practice didn't go well, but that doesn't mean that that just goes to wash because there were some things that you can take from that, rather whether it be good or bad, you can still learn something along the way. And then kind of like Carrillo said, I, I definitely do set goals, but the biggest thing I've learned is it's not for everyone. And you pretty much once they get to college, it's like they either like to set goals or they either don't like to set goals. And if it's the latter, then they're probably not going to try to set those goals and stick to them anyways, regardless of what you do. So I've tried to kind of just have everyone focus on the process. And if they set goals along the way, then I'm happy. If they don't and that's not what they want to do, then we'll find a different way to approach it. And I think that's the biggest thing I've I've learned in the uh, in the recent past about goal setting is that goals aren't about, you know, I, I, I want to be a national champion or I want to be an all American. Like that's a, that's a great thought, but it's the, what are you going to do to get there? Those are the, the smaller, and I'm using air quotes goals that you need to set that all come back to the process, the, that, that process oriented mindset that we've been talking about um, for the past 15 minutes. One thing, uh, and we've been going for about 40 minutes now, and one thing I circled that Dr. Cormier said is that, you know, other, other people in uh, his colleagues in other SEC schools or maybe around the nation maybe don't have um, as good as a relationship as our strength conditioning department does with him in the sports psych uh, department. You know, the first thing I thought of is when Dr. Cormier was on uh, his first episode with us, we were talking and I even sent him some notes uh, uh, a few days before. And I was like, Hey, we'll talk about how you're the first um, performance psychologist that UK athletics has had. And he corrected me and said, uh, actually I'm not. I'm like, yo, who, who wasn't? And it wasn't until we got about halfway into the episode that I'm like, Oh yeah, I completely, completely forgot that there was another guy and it, it, and I don't even remember the man's name, but like there was just, there was zero interaction between um, our strength staff and him. Uh, and I think a lot of that came down to, we didn't utilize him as a re resource because there was, th there was a complete lack of trust. Um, and I remember when uh, Dr. Cormier came on board with uh, our athletic department, him and I sat down and we had a open and honest conversation and, I think I said some things, he said some things, and it, it was, we walked away being like, yep, this is, this is going to help um, UK athletics as a whole if we work together towards a common goal. Um, so, you know, he brought it up uh, at the beginning of the episode where we have our optimum performance meetings once a month. He gets in on those as much as he can. If there's anything that needs to be communicated about a student athlete, 
um, just like uh, strength conditioning and athletic training would would talk to discuss um, you know performance issues or an injury report I think the the teams that are really excelling within our athletic department are the ones that usual utilize Dr. Cormier um, and uh, take to heart that the whole mental side of it is might be one of those little nuggets that can help push your team uh, to to that next level. Uh, Dr. Cormier, I'll kind of throw it to you, just kind of finish this off, but you, do you agree with me? Like it's maybe that trust aspect where other performance psychologists really aren't being welcomed into whether it's the weight room or athletic training room or whatever it might be. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception with um, with our field, and it's probably true with yours as well, is not a question of uh, good, bad, or otherwise, or, or how talented um, or smart a person is, but oftentimes it has to do with fit, right? And so, and kind of alluding back to my previous point when I'm talking about recruiting, um, you know, a, a, a team is, is hopefully not going to recruit an athlete who, regardless of how good they are, um, just do not fit the mold and will not bring um, that much to the team atmosphere. And so, and this has nothing to do with the, my, my predecessor or anything like that, but one of the reasons why I think that our, um, our department works really well, particularly related to, you know, our, our OPT group is that there is trust and there is fit and we know each other by name and we know where our, our respective offices are and who we work with. And, you know, we have an open line of communication where um, as much as I'm capable of sharing, I will share. Um, and, you know, I get a lot of referrals mostly from the AT staff and you guys. Um, and that's, and I rely on those because I don't have the luxury of, of time where I'm able to, you know, be in all the rooms and all the practices and things like that. So I don't see everything and I don't hear everything. And athletes often don't trust me um, if they don't know me, but they trust you guys. And, and so by having that, and I think that was, you were one of the first person uh, people that I met with when I came on board, because that's something that I was always taught to value is that relationship with, with the, the different resources that the student athletes have. Um, and so not only for referrals, but kind of circling back to one of the first things I talked about is making sure that the athletes are getting their needs met and, and understanding, okay, what does a strength uh, room look like? You know, what are they, where do they, what message are they getting in there? What's the staff like? And so that way, when an athlete comes to me and says, whew, I just got my ass kicked at a workout. Uh, all right, tell me about it. And then they're, they're talking about something and I'm like, well, is it possible that, you know, this was communicated? It was just interpreted in this way. Well, yeah, maybe, I, I guess so. And so it's, it's helpful to have that, that information. But, um, but most, most, I mean, vast majority of, of programs at UK all the teams have accepted you know this is a not just a um, an available resource but something that they can find to be useful um, for them in their development so I've been I've been very grateful and I'm grateful to all of you guys too grateful for you if we were in the same room together we'd do a big old hug um, but I, I think this has been a great conversation. Hopefully those listening have been able to take uh, some information um, and apply it to whatever profession that you might be in. I know there's quite a few things that I wrote down 
Um, if there's anything that you've heard and you want us to dive in a little bit deeper, go ahead and shoot us an email at ukstrength at uky.edu. But Dr. Cormier, Carrillo, Knox, appreciate you guys coming on today and having the conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Go Cats.